We have and we see the restructuring and reorganization within cyber gangs. And these gang models are evolving and their methods are changing. Additionally, the geopolitical landscape is at play. And so I think this is a blip and not necessarily a trend. So I caution everyone, you know, do not let your guard down. Cybercrime continues to be lucrative and we all know money is a great motivator. Mobile workforces, cloud applications, and digitalization are changing every aspect of the modern enterprise. And with radical transformation come new business risks. Welcome to Hybrid Identity Protection, the premier podcast for cybersecurity pros charged with defending hybrid identity environments. Presented by Semperis, the pioneers of identity-driven cyber resilience for the hybrid enterprise. And now, here's your host, 15-time Microsoft MVP and active directory security expert, Sean Duby. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HIP Podcast. In June, the Identity Defined Security Alliance came out with a report that said that 84% of its respondents experienced an identity-related breach in the last year. Of those, 96, pretty much everybody, 96% reported that they could have prevented or minimized the breach by implementing identity-focused security outcomes. So the industry is learning that focusing on identity security is becoming or has been very important and they are uh, recognizing that. So for example, Gartner has come out with a new category uh, called ITDR for identity threat detection and response for uh, as an area, a category and for solutions specifically focused on that. But today we're here to sort of dive a little bit into the state of the other side of ransomware, in particular, uh, ransomware as a service or RAS. Um, ransomware gangs are adept at reinventing themselves and it's kind of hard to keep up with it. Uh, joining me today is my friend and colleague, Alix Weaver, a solution architect with Semperis. And Alix's uh, passion is following what's going on in the ransomware world, what's going on with RAS and all that. So we thought we'd take a few minutes and catch up with the leaks to see uh, see where things are going. Hi, Leeks. How you doing? Hi, Sean. And hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm doing well. Good, good, good. Um, you know, recent reports have indicated a dip in the number of ransomware attacks. Mm-hmm. Is this a cause for celebration or is it just simply a change in tactics or a change in reporting? I think we're seeing a change in tactics, and I'm pretty hesitant to say that this is actually a trend. And while there has been roughly an 18% decrease in overall attacks, there are a number of contributing factors at play. We have and we see the restructuring and reorganization within cyber gangs, and these gang models are evolving and their methods are changing. Additionally, the geopolitical landscape is at play. And so I think this is a blip and not necessarily a trend. So I caution everyone, you know, do not let your guard down. Cybercrime continues to be lucrative, and we all know money is a great motivator. And one factor we mentioned just a minute ago is reorganization. And we've seen Conti, the cyber gang, which primarily targets healthcare and hospitals, The group publicly expressed support for Russia after it invaded Ukraine in February. 
just days later, Conti's secrets were leaked, detailing specific malware tools and negotiation tactics that they used. And this was an effort to undermine their abilities, right? And then in May, they shut down their official website and the leaders are believed to have split into smaller groups. So that supposed closure comes after other major hacking, hacking groups have either broken apart or rebranded under a different name. Some of them are Evil Corp, Maze, Dark Side, and Are Evil. There's such an alphabet soup of these, it's difficult to keep track of who's who. It is. And it gets complicated quickly because we also see some of the same code reused over and over. And then we see fractioning within the cyber gangs. And so it's hard to determine where some of the code originated and who's responsible and now where they are. We know that a lot of the gangs are linked to Russia, like our evil. And with Russia's invading Ukraine, that could be a contributing factor that has slowed this down. And that could be the reason we're seeing a decrease in attacks right now. You know, one of the things that is that has come out of the Ukrainian war is basically the declaration encouraged by uh, Ukraine of open season on mm-hmm. Russian websites. Um, and so you, there is a bunch of, I guess you call it vigilante or activism hacking taking place on there, which has been interesting and on its impacts and has, I believe, in some aspects, put them back on their heels because of the damage that they're getting. Exactly. So I think we're seeing efforts aligned on another front versus perhaps targeting uh, the United States or other countries, right? Uh, Additionally, we know that ransomware groups are trying to avoid attention and laying low after a big year of well-publicized breaches. We know they're changing their tactics to avoid heat from law enforcement. And we know that law enforcement tactics are becoming stronger in dealing with these criminals. We've seen an increase in law enforcement attention and the ability to claw back ransoms and imposing sanctions on cryptocurrency firms that are allegedly involved in these ill-gotten gains. So that's also a contributing factor. There's many interesting aspects to this, one of which I believe Andy Greenberg published an article in Wired Magazine about the fact that cryptocurrency is not quite as untraceable as people originally thought it was. Exactly. And that is something that we're also seeing evolve within legislation, right? And how that is outside of the normal scope of policies. And so that is being taken into consideration and is under review. And a lot of times, or I wouldn't say a lot, but a fair number of times, agencies have been able to claw back those ransom payments. So it's something to consider, right? And as a result of the law enforcement in these efforts, we see some indications that affiliates are striking out on their own as the RAS model draws a lot of heat. So these smaller groups might become predominant. Additionally, summertime, right? There's often said there's a lull in the summertime, and so we're not clear on how long that's going to last. Well, if they're European, probably most of them are on vacation (laughs) this month, so. Right. Well, we have schools coming back at place, so uh, we'll see what happens there, right? Right, right. I think we've established, but maybe it would be useful for you to lay out the reasons that RAS has become a more popular choice for attackers than traditional attacks. 
Well, it's definitely easier, right? It lowers the technical barrier of entry. We already have kits that are developed that we can go and get uh, you know, out on the internet. And there's a different uh, number of kits that we can buy and the startup model costs are low. And then the model that the cyber gangs use also varies to fit our needs. We can do a percentage, a cash payout, a monthly subscription. So it's pretty interesting to me that we see the evolution in their business model come into play, right? But it makes it faster and easier and they can attack more as they have recruit more folks. Is there, um, who are some of the more prominent RAS developers out there now? There's so many, it's hard to just name a few. Uh, one of the most prolific RAS operators out there taking over after Conti is Lockbit. So Lockbit is going from V2 to V3 right now, version two to version three, uh, and they're restructuring. This group originally emerged in 2019 and they specialize in double extortion. So they exfiltrate the data, then they threaten to leak or disclose. And while we're watching this evolve into Lockbit 3, they've developed a new leak site and a bug bounty program to researchers, and that really caught media's attention. So the ransomware authors claim to have opened a public bug bounty program, and it's supposed to ultimately improve the quality of their malware and then financially reward those that assist in this. Uh, so we know that they have already a, a collection list of their latest victims. They have proven that they're evolving and their program incentive speaks to their own audience and that they're savvy with the media. So I still think we haven't seen the ramifications from this restructure and then the version upgrade, if you will, from Conti. So let's go back and revisit that. For Let's revisit the bug bounty aspect of it because I've not heard that. So what you're saying is that they are offering bounties for bugs in their own malware yes. to make yes. it more robust. Yes. And it was Lockbit, excuse me, it followed Conti. But yes, they are working to evolve their own product. And you have to give them credit in the sense that that's a smart thing to do. Uh, it's unfortunate it's used for such damage and um, such bad purposes, but they are willing to put their code out there for, uh, you know, checks, a cross check, right? And then they pay the participants, the people that are catching these bugs. So it's exactly the target audience they want to hit, the people that want to get involved. There's two types of people that would want to be involved in that. One is actual other threat actors to make it and, and win the bounty. The other is law enforcement. Yes. Exactly. Uh, so they would be they would be very happy to get a hold of those bugs as well and under, better understand how the malware works. There are some bounties, if you will, for law enforcement that are offered as well to find the code, the folks that write this code too. So sometimes there are rewards and bounties for the good, the greater good. Is a RAS attack from the victim's viewpoint? Does it really, how does it look compared to a traditional malware or ransomware attack? Well, what's interesting is we're seeing, you know, different types of extortion used at every vantage point to the cyber gang, right? They have the single extortion where they exfiltrate the data and they encrypt it and then they, uh, you pay, right, the ransom to get your data back. And then we see a double extortion where they 
are threatening to leak or disclose the data. Then we have triple extortion where they're overloading your network and threatening the company with other interruptions. And then the quadruple where they're threatening the victims after the exposure. And the new trend is victim shaming, which I think is pretty darn awful. Uh, so there's multiple stages at each level where they're trying to make money. And so that's one of the things that we're seeing uh, come up or that is at play. So victims are able to find out in some cases if their data has been stolen and then they're being extorted. So it's something that unfortunately has involved where we're seeing uh, not only the computer systems, the network, the entire infrastructure, we're then seeing the very person that sits in front of that computer and their own personal data being blackmailed. That's fascinating in a horrifying sort of way. Uh, you know, one of the aspects of this that it, to me that this brings out is the threat actors are becoming so sophisticated and so multi-layered and their typical target is not only in in this regard not so sophisticated or experienced they may have never encountered any of it at all it's almost like a deer in the headlights for mm -hmm. the IT department when they get hit with a sophisticated multi-level 1x 2x 3x 4x type ransomware attack it seems to me that what this is pointing towards is IT and medium to large organizations evolving a special ransomware team that has technologists in there, that has legal experts in there, it has communication experts in there, a multidiscipline team to combat or at least be able to react adequately right. to these multi-level, multi-layered attacks. Yeah, we definitely want to make sure that organizations out there have an idea of what to do if we think there is an attack. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, also known as CISA, they have a great kind of how-to for cyber breach incident reporting. And part of that is looking at for the organization is, you know, what is your policy on paying ransom? Who makes those decisions? Uh, and when does legal become involved? So there's a lot of questions and what they've done in a great outline is put together that information of the, inf not only the information on for reporting, but what you wanna do prior, uh, knock on everything, whether that happens, that you know the steps that you're gonna follow, you know the information that you need to gather, uh, that already has been outlined, so you're not, winging it or, you know, doing this under extreme duress. Well, it's like disaster recovery. It's you've yes. got to practice it. You've got to practice it. You've got to practice it. In you this do. case, it'd be a tabletop exercise because yes, you don't want to do it for the first time when your company is suspended due to, or, or otherwise crippled due to a ransomware attack. No, it's part of our ecosystem. And so part of our business continuity, disaster recovery, the BCDR should be testing the backups, not just having the backups, but ensuring that they're of quality, that they do work, that you know the process, and you are able to do a restore without any dependencies on Active Directory. That's a critical step. We also want to look at, 
you know, this in my mind is a two-pronged approach when you do a restore of your environment, an authoritative restore. One is reviewing the how, the where, and they got in. The other is getting an environment and a trusted environment at that stood back up so your users can authenticate and business can resume as normal. At the same time, the technicians are working on that. You have of this multi-discipline team, you have crisis managers, you have project managers keeping track of everything. You've got communications people for communications to employees, communications to shareholders, communications to customers. I can see, easily see this being a, a full branch of a company or at least designated individuals that on command, our friend from Accenture says, rip open the envelope and have a reporting structure. So Alix, you know, you mentioned that those guidelines that CISA had on how to prepare for and how to recover from a ransomware attack. Where was that again? Can you give us a URL? Yeah, that's at cisa.gov.gov. What would you recommend searching in there for it? They have a how do I section. And so you can look in there and then they also have a cybersecurity toolkit. And so, yeah, if you look in there, you'll have some good guidance on what to put together. It it gives you a great starting point. Okay, great. That sounds very, very useful. Aside from RAS, what other new trends are you seeing in ransomware attacks? Well, we're seeing smaller groups crop up, right? As we know that law enforcement, uh, some of the trends there are causing the cyber gangs a momentary pause, if you will, and some restructuring. Uh, We know that some of the affiliates are starting to branch out on their own. We're seeing uh, outsourcing of labor as they are building or evolving the business model. We see in one example where they have phone banks. So they call victims after the breach in order to blackmail them and extort money further. Uh, So we're seeing multiple stages of extortion. We talked about the single, the double, the triple, and the quadruple. Uh, I hate to say it, but I'm sure they'll come up with something else to add there. I think, you know, we see victim shaming, right? That's relatively new and pretty awful. So again, money is a, a lucrative (laughs) incentive. Right. So So we'll keep evolving. We will. Unfortunately, we know that they're here to stay. We know that it's lucrative. The payout is, is big and the notoriety that is sought by some is, is beneficial, right? And they are recruiting more affiliates and building up their in-house tech support. We also know that it's not just windows anymore. And that's something that's concerning because that becomes a larger scale. You know, so of course, we've been talking about the bad side of it. From the good side, how do you minimize the damage? How do you minimize being such a victim? We're preaching the same stuff, right? Which is secure things up. It is, but I think in some respects for, you know, we hear about the large companies that are breached uh, because obviously the payout is larger and big game hunting, right, is out there where cyber gangs target lucrative uh, companies and, and lucrative rewards. They don't, they don't necessarily want to cripple one segment of the society. They just want a company that is able to 
make the payout. I mean, that was the case with Colonial Pipeline. They just wanted the payout. They didn't necessarily want to attack the infrastructure. They just wanted the money. They just wanted the ransom, right? So those are things that are also at play. That's why healthcare, that's why critical mm-hmm. infrastructure, because they have greater incentive to end the disruption as soon as possible. Right. And what what we keep you know, saying and preaching, and I know it's harder for smaller companies, is, you know, MFA, right? At the very minimum, minimum, you want to have MFA on your admin accounts. So that's something that we can put in play. We want to make sure that we are monitoring our environment and that we have processes in place to watch our privileged or elevated groups. We want a way to make sure that we can get Uh, the security posture of our AD environment and really work towards locking down what we can, right? We don't want to see any accounts with password never expires or a weak password, right? You know, until we get to that passwordless state, we want to make sure we're doing everything we can. And there's a myriad of things in there. And to be perfectly honest, a lot of them are not hard. (laughs) No, no. They're not. No, they're not at all. Like, for example, Purple Knight, that's a free download. You don't even have to be a domain admin to run it. You can just have that on a you know domain join system and then get great data and a lot of reports based on your environment that allows you to be proactive. And I think as an AD administrator, that's a real rarity because we don't have the ability to get out in front of a lot of uh, perhaps misconfigurations or uh, areas of exposure that we want to be uh, aware of. And we want to also be working towards mitigating. By having that data, we're able to go to management and say, we now need the headcount and the resources to tackle these problems, right? Right. I once heard it described of you could either highlight it internally now, or you could see it highlighted on the upper fold of the Wall Street Journal. Exactly. It is true, though, because I vividly remember that. And unfortunately, like I said earlier, we're, we hear about the large attacks, but we also aren't hearing about all the attacks that happen you know, on the regular smaller shops, right? And those right. are just as critical to our economy. That's right. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Alix. Thanks for your time. You're welcome running off to do some exciting things and we, so we are good to squeeze <laughs> off a few minutes thank you for having me I enjoyed the chat thanks for joining us on the hybrid identity protection podcast with sean Duby. be sure to subscribe at apple podcasts spotify or wherever you like to listen visit hipconf.com that's h-i-p-c-o-n-f.com to learn about upcoming events view expert presentations, and take part in the conversation.